Well, good morning. It's uh, so good to be back with you again this Sunday morning, and I'm thankful for uh, the opportunity to be able to worship together with you. I've been so encouraged by these different uh, stories and uh, testimonies that have been shared in recent weeks, and it's, it's wonderful to hear how uh, the Lord continues to be at work to uh, encourage, to uh, strengthen, to show Himself in the lives of, uh, of so many different people in our body. And uh, uh, what a great reminder and encouragement that that is to us all, that, uh, that, that God is working even in the midst of these unusual times. You know, uh, yesterday was a, a pretty warm day, and I, I started the day out by helping uh, um, some people in our small group to, to move house. I was reflecting on the interesting fact that uh, my wife and I have been a part of our small group for a little less than a year at this point, and we're really thankful for the families who are part of the small group. And yet, I think that this was the, the third couple in our small group who have moved house in, uh, in less than a year. And so, one of the advantages we often talk about uh, of, of the need for you to get involved in a small group, one very practical advantage to being in a small group is you have people People to help you move if you ever need to move. But uh, as I was, uh, as together with others in our group, we were uh, lifting and moving furniture yesterday, I, I was thinking a little bit about my own experience a number of years ago now of, of, of when we moved and of, of, of buying our home. And uh, one of the things when you move house is that it, it is definitely a journey. If you're, especially if you're buying a home, there's just a lot of details in this whole process from finding the place that you want to buy all the way to actually buying it. And of course, that's why a lot of people will employ a, a real estate agent, a, 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 a real estate attorney, and probably a housing inspector as well who will come and to, to look through the place because it's a, it's a big commitment. It's a big decision. And there are all of these different steps along the way that can sometimes feel, quite honestly, sort of overwhelming. And then finally, of course, you come to the day of the closing, and, and, and you're excited, but you're also sort of nervous, and you, you go into the, uh, into the title uh, um, company's office or wherever the closing is taking place, and you're greeted with this huge stack of papers that you've got to wade through and sign. And even though somebody's there to sort of explain them to you, you really have no clue what it is that you're writing your name on. And, and after a while, um, as your hand is going into spasm because of the 654th page that you've put your signature on, or it feels something like that at least, uh, eventually somebody says, well, congratulations. And they hand you a set of keys. Now, in that moment... Nobody thinks to themselves, great, I had just gone through all of that process and paid all of that money and signed all of those papers, and all I get is a key. Because, you see, we all understand that that key that is handed to us, well, it represents something. It represents something that is, is far bigger. It represents something that is, is more significant than the key itself. It represents kind of a, a taking ownership of this home that you've been looking forward to, that you've worked hard for. And there's a sense in which when we move into a new home, into a new house, uh, that it 
in a lot of different respects, marks a time of new beginnings, of fresh memories, of, uh, of a starting of a new season. And we find ourselves here in, uh, in these interesting days, and yet in the midst of everything that's going on, we are kind of looking with a sense of anticipation uh, to, to new things, uh, to a fresh start, to new beginnings, as things gradually start to open up. And so that's really what we've been calling this series that we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks, as we've journeyed together through some of the passages in the Old Testament book of Zechariah. As we find ourselves there again this morning, uh, we again see God compassionately and graciously speaking to his people through his prophet, Zechariah, to encourage them in the midst of this time of new beginnings, this time of, uh, of them returning from exile in the foreign land of Babylon, coming back into his promised land and entering into, in a sense, a fresh start. And as we come to our word this morning, we're going to really see a word of encouragement that causes us to keep going and and not grow weary in our service to the Lord, because just like a key represents something bigger, because of the fact that we know that the Lord has greater things for us that are still yet to come. And so, if you've got a Bible with you, I want to invite you to join me once again this morning in the Old Testament book of Zechariah. And today we're going to be looking at Zechariah chapter 6 and beginning in verse 9. There we read these words. And the word of the Lord came to me. Take from the exiles Heldai, Tobiah, and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take from them silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. And the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord as a reminder to Helen, Tobiah, Jediah, and Hen, the son of Zephaniah. And those who are far off shall come and shall help to build the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. You know, one of the things which is challenging when we come across passages like this is that there's a whole lot of names in there. And then in these prophetic passages, there can often be a lot of details that on first reading can be a little bit intimidating. But what we see here is that God gives his people a picture to remember. So far in the book of Zechariah, there have been actually a series of eight different visions that were given to Zechariah to proclaim to the people. And through these visions, it's talked about the fact that God is bringing back his people from the land of exile, that as he brings them back, that there is a work that they are doing in the, in the reforming, if you like, the reshaping and the rebuilding there in the promised land. But that even what they are doing is about a foreshadowing, a looking forward to something greater that is to come when God will send his Messiah, his promised one. And here again in this passage, we've now moved from the, the, the portion of Zechariah that deals with these eight 
visions. In fact, that ends in, in the previous verse, in chapter 6, verse 8. And now, uh, Zechariah receives a message. And, and this message is different to the visions that he had received because he is instructed with a very specific task that he is to perform, a picture that he is to present before the people. And so we see here that we're told that uh, uh, the Lord commands Zechariah to go and collect gold and silver from this group of returning exiles. And so we've got these, these names, uh, Heldai, Tobiah, and Jediah, and these were apparently Jewish exiles who were just now returning from the land of Babylon. And in, in some sense, they seem to have been leaders, perhaps, of the people. They were uh, envoys from the, uh, from the exiles, perhaps, who were still in Babylon, and they are bringing with them a gift to go towards the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. We don't know if this gift, if this silver and gold that the text talks about was their own personal offering, that they were perhaps very wealthy individuals themselves and they were bringing this gift to present. We don't know if it was a, 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 perhaps a community collection that had been taken amongst the exiles in Babylon, that these were the ones that they were sending back with this gift. Or it may even have been that they were actually bringing back some of the treasures that had been taken from the ransacked temple in Jerusalem by the Babylonians when they had first invaded Jerusalem. Whatever the case may be, Zechariah is given the instruction that he is to go to these folks, and they are meeting together apparently at this time at the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. He's to go there to take the gold and the silver and to fashion, to form and craft a crown made of silver and gold. Uh, but he's not only to, to do that, he is to then, as verse 11 says, uh, he is to take it and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. If you happen to be with us last week, then uh, we were introduced to Joshua at that time. So Joshua is the high priest, which means that he is uh, really the spiritual leader over the people of Israel at this time. In order to be the high priest, it means that his lineage traces back to the, the tribe of Levi and specifically through the line of Aaron, who was the brother of Moses, who was uh, anointed as the first high priest over the people of Israel. So this is a place of honor. This is a place of importance. It's a place of strategic and, 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 and spiritual leadership amongst the people. And here we see that Zechariah is to, is to place this crown on Joshua's head. And then it, it, verse uh, 12 and 13 tell us that he is to announce a message from the Lord to Joshua as he goes through this ceremonial crowning. And having done this, he's then to take the crown back from Joshua and place it in the temple where it can be kept as a remembrance for these men who had come and for all other faithful Jews amongst the people. So we've got this, this picture of what's taking place. And what we see here is, is the generosity of the people. We see the obedience of Zechariah. Uh, we see the honoring of Joshua as he is the high priest. And he's sort of given this God-given commission uh, to fulfill his office and his duties. But what does this all really mean? Well, as we look at what's going on here, we see 
that God is giving his people a picture that they are to remember. I love looking at photographs. Uh, most of us are probably accustomed to having a cell phone in our pocket or in our purse. And, and if yours is anything like mine, you've probably got hundreds, perhaps even thousands of photographs on your phone. But one of the things I don't like, even though it's convenient having a, a camera constantly with me, I don't like the fact that even though I've got all those pictures on there, that I don't really get to look at them that often. I mean, I might swipe through, but when you do that, you kind of scroll through kind of fast. What I really love is looking at an old photograph album. There's something about pulling that out and looking at those pictures. And as you look at those pictures, and one of the beautiful things about looking at a, a photograph is that, is that they're so filled with memories. Not just what was happening in the picture, but everything that surrounded that event, everything that surrounded that person kind of comes flooding back to your mind and to your memory as you're looking at those photographs. Uh, they remind you of a time in the past. They remind you of a life. They remind you of so many different things. You know... For those of us who are followers of Christ, there are uh, some times, and perhaps we have photographs of these times, but there are things in our own experience, our own journey in our walk with the Lord that are kind of like uh, those photographs that we look back on. Maybe for us it was uh, uh, at the moment of our baptism, and again, maybe we have a photograph of this, and we look back, and as we look back at that, we remember all the things that God had been doing in our life. We remember how we had gotten to stand before God's people and, and, and share about our testimony of, of how he had drawn us to himself. Uh, we remember that. And it seems like it was just a real watershed moment, a real spiritual marker in our walk with the Lord. For others of us, maybe it was uh, a retreat that we went on, or maybe it was a missions trip that we got to be a part of. And, and, and as we think back, or as we look back at photographs that represent that, uh, we remember what God was doing. And sometimes we look back at those and we kind of yearn for that sense of his working in our life now as he had in the past. But, you know, that's the beautiful thing about those memories and those photographs that we look back. We see what God did then. We're reminded that he is still the same God today. And those remembrances of his working and his faithfulness are supposed to motivate us and encourage us and strengthen us for what is still ahead of us to come. And here for Zechariah, for Joshua, for the people of their day, God gave them this picture. They didn't have cameras, so they didn't have photographs, but you better believe that the crowning of Joshua was something that they were not soon going to forget. And more than that, not only the, the realization and the, and, and the recognition of what was going on that day, but the fact that the crown was not to be left with Joshua, but was to be taken and placed in the temple, that they were in the midst of rebuilding, so that every time it was seen, it would act as a reminder, a picture to remind the people of what God was doing. But you see, God is not in this passage only giving his people a picture that they're to remember. God gives his people a symbol to understand. What I mean by that is the fact that the crowning of Joshua here in this book of, of, of Zechariah uh, points to something that is far greater that is still yet to come. We know that because as we look at verse 12, we see part of the announcement that Zechariah is to make 
at the crowning of Joshua, and he says, Say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place. Now, this crowning is taking place of of Joshua the high priest, but as this word is announced over him, it is clear that Joshua is only a representative of something else. If you were with us in the last couple of weeks, we saw elsewhere in in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 8, this reference to the branch. And we talked about the fact that it is actually a commonly used title in the Old Testament, and it always refers to the promised Messiah, the one that God had promised he would send to liberate his people. And of course, we know that that person, that promised one, is Jesus Christ himself. And so here, uh, Joshua is representative or a type of Christ. He is pointing to, he is a partial representation of something fuller that is yet to come. And this is made clear, especially if we were to take time to go to Jeremiah chapter 23, uh, verses uh, uh, 5 and 6. We see there part of the ministry of the branch explained. And so, in this crowning ceremony, and all that's taking place here in, in, in Zechariah is not only a picture for the people to, be, to remember, but it is also a symbol taking place for them to understand. And in fact, that becomes even more clear as this announcement, this proclamation continues. Not only is he referred to as the branch, but then it says, for he, again in reference to the branch, for he shall ra- branch out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord. And so, again, if this was merely referring to Joshua, we would kind of expect to see the proclamation be something like, and you will build the temple. But it's not. It's an he, a reference to the branch. But more than that, you see, we know that this was not specifically referring to just to Joshua. Because in the days that this is taking place, as as Zechariah is prophesying, as he's doing this, as he's crowning Joshua, the people have returned to the land, or some of them at least. Uh, The temple has been in ruins, and they are starting to rebuild the temple. But here's the thing. Joshua is not the guy who's rebuilding the temple. Joshua is not even the one, even though he's the high priest, who is overseeing the work of rebuilding the temple. Right here in the book of Zechariah, God has already given that task and made a promise to somebody else. If we look at Zechariah chapter 4, we see a character by the name of Zerubbabel, and he is actually the governor in the land at this time. And there in Zechariah chapter 4, speaking to Zerubbabel, God gives him the task of rebuilding the temple. And he says to Zerubbabel, I know that it seems overwhelming, but let me encourage you. This is not by your might. It is not by your power, but is by my spirit, says the Lord. And so he reminds him of the fact that, yes, this work will be done, and the accomplishment of it will not be because you are so skilled, will not be because you are so strong, will not be because you are so capable. No, it will be in the empowerment of the Lord God himself. And there in Zechariah chapter 4, 
verse 8, we see that it is abundantly clear that it is Zerubbabel who is entrusted with this task. Because it says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. So when we get here now to the crowning of Joshua in Joshua chapter 6, and we see this proclamation of the branch who will build the temple, we know that it cannot simply be referring to Joshua, but there is also a looking forward to something greater that is yet to come, and that this branch, that this promised Messiah will build the temple of the Lord in a way that is distinct and different than even the building that is taking place at that time. So it's not only the fact there's a reference to the branch, not only the fact that there's a reference to him as being the builder of the temple, but even as this proclamation continues, it says, and he shall, be, uh, and he shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne and there shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. What's really interesting here is the fact that it speaks of ruling from a throne singular. There is one throne that this one, that this branch will rule from. And and the language here bearing royal honor and, and ruling is one speaking of a kingly authority, speaking of a king for the people. At the same time, it says that there will also be a priest on this throne. So we might rightly think to ourselves, well, how does a king and a priest get to sit on the same throne? And especially for the people of Israel, they would have understood that this couldn't be the case. And and in fact, that Joshua doesn't fit the bill for all that is being declared here. Because yes, he's a priest. He's the high priest over Israel. But you see, in order to be high priest, as I've suggested, and, and every Jew knew this, you had to be a Levite through the line of Aaron. But the problem is, in order to be a king in Israel, in order to fulfill what God has clearly said all through the Old Testament, the promise and the covenant that he made to David, that the king must come from the line of Judah and specifically be a direct descendant of King David. So, so a priest and a king could not be the same person. You couldn't hold both those offices unless you were the branch, unless you were the one who had been foretold, unless you were the one that Psalm 110 speaks about as being the ruling king who is also a priest in the order of Melchizedek, a priest who is a part of a priesthood that is greater than and outside of the Aaronic line, a priest that the book of Hebrews in the New Testament speaks about as the true great high priest. If we had the time, we would go into more depth there in the book of Hebrews and what it has to say about how Jesus himself, has the, how the promised Messiah, how the Christ is both our king and our high priest, that he is of the line of David, and that he is of the order of Melchizedek, this royal priest. And so we know that what is taking place here is but a symbol pointing the people to something greater. So the crowning of Joshua is a symbol that, that promises, that points to an, the promised Messiah. 
who would come and be both priest and king, making atonement for the sins of the people, and king ruling and reigning over an everlasting kingdom from the throne of his father David. You see, in this prophecy, the people did not understand the fact that what's being spoken of here, of the Messiah, who is Jesus, that he would first come as a suffering servant. And then come a second time as ruler and king and judge in glory and splendor. That he would come a first time to sacrifice himself, lay his life down as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people. To reconcile us to God and then come again as a judge. This prophecy combines that idea of the king and the priest And you know what? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we can give thanks to God because Jesus has become for us our great high priest. That means that that whereas a priest would present an offering on behalf of the people in order to deal with their sin and reconcile them in relationship to God, Jesus came presenting not just any offering, but presenting himself as an eternal, everlasting, once-for-all sacrifice sufficient to pay for your sin and mine. He is our great high priest. But not only did he lay his life down as a sacrifice, but in taking it up again, gloriously raising again to life, he is now seated in the very throne room of heaven. And the book of Hebrews tells us that he is interceding for his people. So he continues in his office of high priest even today in that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he is standing before the throne of the Father right now and he is praying for you. We can rejoice that he is our high priest and we can rejoice knowing that he is our Lord and King just as this is pointing to. I love what Revelation chapter 11 verse 15 says. There it declares, the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices throughout the heavens saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. I can hardly read that verse without wanting to burst out into Handel's Messiah. Some of you don't even know what that is. It's beautiful beautiful piece or set of music declaring the greatness of Christ as eternal king. And what this passage is pointing to, what this symbol is displaying is that God is doing something in the days of Zechariah and the people who have returned from the exile, but he is doing something greater still that is yet to come. And so God, through Zechariah, through Joshua, he gave his people a picture to remember. He, he gave them a symbol to understand. But as we think about this passage, and we think about its implications for our lives so many years later, we also see that God gives his people a promise so that they can persevere. You see, after the symbolic crowning of Joshua... 
Zechariah was to take the, the crown that had been placed on his head and was to take it to the temple that they were in the midst of rebuilding and they, to leave it there as a sign and as a symbol. And what we see here in verse 14 is it says, and the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord as a reminder to Helen, uh, to, uh, Tobiah, Jediah, and Hen the son of Zephaniah. Interestingly, uh, that uh, word hen is actually a, another name that is given to Josiah, who we saw in verse 10, and it simply means gracious one. And the point that's being made is that these, amongst others who are faithful, who are seeking to honor the Lord, the crown that is placed there will stand as an enduring reminder, not only of what God has done, but what he has yet to do that he has promised will come to pass. And while the Lord will fulfill his future promises through Christ the Messiah, so they there in Zechariah's day were instructed that they are to set their hands diligently and obediently to the task that is before them. There's a promise here that they can look in verse 15. It says, and those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. Just as they had come from far far afield bringing gifts to contribute towards the work of the construction of the temple. So it's pointing to a day that, that, that wealth and riches will be bought from all the nations for the purposes of the kingdom of God and the building of the temple. It's spoken of in the book of Isaiah in chapter 60 in Haggai chapter 2, how the nations will bring their riches in. But the point that is being made is while God is preparing this for the future, there is a task to be done right now. And the work of building the temple that was taking place in their day, in Zechariah's day, under Joshua, under Zerubbabel, needed to continue. But this passage calls them to a continued faithfulness to get involved in the work that is happening now, even while they look forward to and are motivated by something that is greater that is yet to come. And so really this passage is instructing us, is reminding us, is encouraging us, keep going in your service to the Lord. Don't grow weary, but remember that greater things are yet to come. You know, in the midst of trying to live out the Christian life in the culture, in the society, in the environment in which we live, it can sometimes feel overwhelming and so uncertain and exhausting. We can feel like we, we don't know what to do. We can feel like, uh, what do we really have to contribute? What do we have to, to, to offer? The task often seems so big. You know, we're, we're called, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we are called to, to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and be growing in Him. We're, we're called to, to use and, and put to work the gifts that God has entrusted to us for the sake of building up the body. We're called to be engaged in the work of making disciples who make disciples. And all of those things are things that, that should define and characterize us as followers of Christ. If we're not doing those things, we are disobedient to what the Scriptures call us to do. We're disobedient to the Lord. But the truth of the matter is, sometimes it just feels like we don't know how to do that stuff. 
we feel so overwhelmed. We feel like the task is so big and we're so small. And what difference does our little piece, our little gift that we've got, how does that all even help or accomplish anything? I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to think of the greatness of God. You see, just as, as each of the characters here had a role to play, had a part to play, so through this picture that was given that they were to remember, through this symbol that they were to understand, was this promise that was given that they were to keep their eyes fixed on while they did the work that was in front of them obediently now. And so while the task of building the temple seemed huge, while, while they were confronted every day that they walked out of their door with the crumbled walls of Jerusalem, by the garbage that was in the street, by the fact that nothing was as it should have been, they were still to be faithful and diligent. And friends, that's, that's where we are. God has gifted you. God has called you. If you belong to him, he is at work in your life. Don't grow weary. Don't become discouraged. Don't think that you have nothing to contribute because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in you. He has gifted you for a purpose. For some of us, we feel kind of timid. We feel like we've been waiting so long, just like the people there in Judah, in the days of Zechariah. God, when are you ever going to show up? Maybe we feel like there's no longer a sense of urgency. It's, you know, we've been waiting for Jesus to come back for 2,000 years. But the instruction here is to be faithful about what we have before us today. So what about you? What is God What has he gifted you to be a part of? What has he gifted you to use those gifts for? What does it look like for you right now to be walking obediently with Jesus and growing with him? What does it look like right now for you to be deploying your gifts to build up the body? What does it look like in this season for you in some way to be a part of what we have all, if we're followers of Christ, being commanded to do, to be a part of making disciples who make disciples? You know, it can be easy to become weary, to be discouraged, to feel like maybe our part is not really worth very much. But as we look at this idea of new beginnings, as we think uh, about kind of a reopening, a, a restarting of things, even within our culture, in our society, in our church, as we move, Lord willing, into a new season, What does it look like for you to have a new beginning? What does it look like for you to take a next step in your walk with the Lord? Maybe you're sat there or you're watching online. You're thinking, I have no idea. I want to do that. I want to take that next step. I just don't really know what it is or or how to do that. Whereas you've got the communication card there in your seats or the online communication card if you're watching from home. Uh, You can indicate on there that you, that you want to take the next step in your walk with Christ. And we would love to connect with you and pray with you and, and, and connect you with some resources to help you take that next step and identify what that is. But if I can ask you something, and this is especially for those who are watching at home, 
If you take the moment to, to go on and complete that communication card and indicate that you want to take a next step, would you do one other thing? Would you also let us know who you are and how we can contact you? Because I understand that remaining anonymous is kind of one of the things that can sometimes be nice about watching online. But the reality is that if you're, if you're ready, if the Lord is calling you to take that next step, that unless we know how to connect with you, then we really can't come alongside and, and help you to take that next step. So would you do that today? In the midst of everything that was going on in the days of Zechariah, as they were facing what seemed to be a wearying task, as they were facing a, a lot of uncertainty, as the days in which they lived uh, were complicated. Sound familiar? The Lord gave them a picture to remember. He gave them a symbol to understand, and he gave them a promise to help them persevere. And the promise in particular was kind of this crown that was to be placed in the temple, put on display, so that whenever they grew frustrated, whenever they grew uncertain, whenever they were tempted to give up, whenever they didn't know what to do, they could look at the crown. And they could remember that God is at work and he is preparing something greater still. And so they were motivated. They were encouraged to persevere. When they were tired and weary and they felt like their work was accomplishing nothing, look to the crown. When they went outside of the door of their house and they were just confronted with a mess with crumbled stone all around, look to the crown. When they were feeling a sadness of heart and a weariness of depression, look to the crown. But you know what? For those of us today who live this side of the cross, for those of us uh, who are followers of Christ, we don't look to a crown that is kind of encased in a temple anymore. We look to something else. We look to the sky and the New Testament commends us to keep looking to the sky, keep looking to the fact that, that Christ is coming again, that God is at work now, and that he is going to bring about something far greater than anything that we can even begin to comprehend. So keep on persevering. And when things seem to be really confusing in the midst of a, a, a world that is exhausting at times, keep looking to the sky. And though you feel like everything that you are contributing, all of the work that you're doing, the labor that you're trying to put in, the faithfulness that you're trying to walk in, sometimes can be so discouraging. Look to the sky. And when there are these arguments on this side and arguments on this side about what we should do or what we should do, and, and, and there's, keep looking to the sky. And when you feel like nothing you do matters, when you feel like it's time to give up, when you feel like you can't see what God is doing in the midst of that place of pain in which you find yourself today, keep looking to the sky. From where? Soon. Our great high priest and our glorious king will come again for his people. Just as it says in Revelation twenty-two fifteen. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me. You know, to a, 
discouraged and quite frankly divided church in the ancient city of Corinth. The Apostle Paul spends an entire chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talking about the resurrection of Christ and the glorious resurrection that believers will be a part of as we will be transformed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. And having talked about this wonderful hope, this return of Christ and all that will take place, he concludes that chapter saying, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. To a weary people, to a group of exiles coming back to a land that had been devastated in times of uncertainty, God gives his people a picture to remember. He gives them a symbol to understand and he gives them a promise to help them to persevere so that they would know that not only is he at work now as he has been at work in the past, but that he is doing something greater still yet to come. Therefore, don't give up. So keep going. Whatever it is that the Lord has called you to, wherever you find yourself today, don't slack. Don't grow weary. Don't give up. Keep going in your service to the Lord. Remembering that greater things are yet to come. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, our God. You are such a faithful, merciful God. Thank you that you delight to remind your people of your goodness. Lord, we confess that we often grow tired and weary. We, in the midst of the busyness, the distractions, and at times, quite frankly, the chaos of our own lives and the world in which we live, we can easily find ourselves overwhelmed and growing weary. Even overwhelmed and growing weary in our walk with you. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen each weary heart today. I pray that you would encourage each one with a reminder of your faithfulness in the past, with a glimpse of how you are working even today, and that, Lord, we as your people would be able to keep our eyes fixed on the sky, knowing that soon and very soon our Savior our high priest, our glorious king is coming. And all that you have in store is so much greater than anything we can even begin to fathom. All praise be to you this day. May we be found faithful on that soon and coming day, diligently about the work to which you have called us, and rejoicing in your coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we close out our time this morning again, I want to thank you for being here in person with us this morning. Thank you for joining us online this week. We look forward to seeing you again uh, next Sunday. But I want to just close our time 
with the blessing, with the reminder that I've already referred to from 1 Corinthians 58, 15, 58. My beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is never in vain. May the Lord bless you. Have a wonderful week.